0: This is The World in Brief, from The Economist. Our top stories. The Czech Republic, which currently holds the presidency of the EU, called for the establishment of a special international tribunal to investigate possible war crimes at Izium in Ukraine. The move follows the discovery of around 450 graves at a site near the city, which was recently retaken from the Russians. Some bodies had their hands tied behind their backs or showed signs of torture. Joe Biden arrived in London, ahead of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II on Monday. Around 500 dignitaries will attend the ceremony in Westminster Abbey. China confirmed it would send Wang Qishan, the vice president, despite the country's frosty relationship with Britain. Chinese officials were reportedly barred from viewing the Queen's lying in state because China sanctioned British MPs critical of its human rights record. The European Commission proposed to suspend billions of euros in funds for Hungary over corruption concerns. The EU's executive arms said the sanctions, which must be approved by a majority of member states, would protect its budget against breaches of the rule of law. It is the first use of a mechanism introduced two years ago in response to concerns that Hungary and Poland are nobbling judges, journalists and activists. Thousands of people on the southern Japanese island of Kyushu were urged to leave their homes as Typhoon Nanmadol made landfall. The storm, which threatens 500 millimetres of rainfall and winds of 270 kilometres per hour, is then expected to turn towards Tokyo. Meanwhile, Puerto Rico declared a state of emergency as it prepared for the arrival of Tropical Storm Fiona. Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Turkey's president, said his country would apply for full membership of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, a regional talking shop that includes China, Russia, India and much of Central Asia. Turkey is currently a dialogue member and would be the club's first NATO signatory. The SCO, which met in Uzbekistan this week, was formed to promote closer security and economic links. Some 20 million Shia Muslim pilgrims gathered in the holy city of Karbala in Iraq for the annual Arbaeen festival. It is one of the largest gatherings of people anywhere on earth. The event is the culmination of 40 days of mourning in memory of Imam Hussein, a descendant of the Prophet Muhammad who was killed in the city in the year 680. Police in Serbia arrested 64 people as right-wing and religious protesters turned out to demonstrate against an LGBT pride march that was taking place in the capital, Belgrade. The march itself had initially been banned over fears that it would stoke violence. And word of the week. Bojan a word meaning licorice in the Karakalpak language, spoken in Karakalpakstan, Western Uzbekistan.
1: And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. China's mortgage boycotts. This year, Zhengzhou, a megacity in central China, has been swept with protests over the loss of billions of dollars of deposits in banks. More recently, it has become the center of a mortgage boycott movement. Up to 90% of homes in China are pre-sold. But the crisis shaking China's property market over the past year has meant that developers often run out of cash before completing new projects. Understandably, home buyers do not want to pay for undelivered homes. Now, for the first time, data collected by online activists reveals the extent of the fury. The number of organized boycott campaigns across China is approaching 350, up from 235 in July. With 45 cases, Zhengzhou is the unhappy center of these disturbances. China's government is now faced with the huge task of making sure troubled property companies keep building homes. If it fails, the protests could spread even further. The return of Oktoberfest. Resilient to everything bar bouts of cholera and hyperinflation, world wars, and most recently the COVID pandemic, the world's biggest Volksfest is back. After two-year hiatus, six million visitors are expected to visit Munich's Oktoberfest, which starts this weekend. The spectacle runs until October 3rd, the day that Germans celebrate reunification. Between spins on amusement rides, and oral assaults by Umpa bands, the later Hosen and Dirndl sporting revelers will knock back the equivalent of nearly three Olympic swimming pools of beer. Oktoberfest will pump more than 1 billion euros, 999 million dollars, into Munich's economy. Politicians from Bavaria's ruling Christian Social Union, who often make conspicuous visits to Oktoberfest, will hope that boozed-up visitors tired of COVID restrictions will remember the munificence of their leaders ahead of next year's Bavarian state elections. But the fair won't release attendees from all their worries. As inflation soars, a moss, or one liter of beer, will cost between 12.6 and 13.8 euros, 16% more than in 2019. Europe's economic problems made liquid. THE QUEEN AND THE CROWN For much of Elizabeth II's 70-year reign, depictions of the queen on film and television did not delve far below the surface. Think regal waves, clipped intonation, and corgis. But The Crown, a drama about Elizabeth's reign that has been broadcast on Netflix since 2016, has tried to understand the queen as a person, as well as a figurehead. Since her death, The Crown has shot up Netflix's viewing charts again. The show's recurring theme is Elizabeth's unwavering sense of duty, but The Crown suggests that her famed stoicism could be both strength and flaw. For instance, in 1966, the fictional Queen struggles to find the right words after the Aberfan disaster in Wales, which killed almost 150 people, and resorts to faking tears. A new season of The Crown, with Imelda Staunton in the role of the queen following stints by Claire Foy and Olivia Colman, is due in November. For the show's fans, it will be another chance to consider the human behind this symbol. Art confronts the authorities in Turkey. A decade ago, Istanbul was the latest darling of the European art scene. But the hype started to fade in 2013 when Turkish authorities brutally smothered mass protests and vanished entirely after 2016 when the government responded to a coup with a brutal crackdown. Free expression has never recovered. Art, however, is trickling back. The Istanbul Biennial, which kicks off this weekend, seems to have a twofold mission. One is to showcase some of the city's lesser-known or abandoned attractions, The other is to explore what is possible within today's limits of artistic freedom in Turkey. Inside a metro tunnel dug under Gezi Park, the site of the 2013 protests, visitors are exposed to cascading waves of noise, part of an audio installation that explores the relationship between trauma and sound. Computer tablets in a shuttered 19th-century Greek school display footage of interviews with leaders of resistance movements. Subversive art in today's Turkey is rare, but this is a start. Weekend Profile, Georgia Maloney, Italy's probable new Prime Minister Georgia Maloney grew up as the daughter of a single parent. Her father left soon after she was born in 1977. Ms. Maloney and her sister subsequently compounded their mother's problems by accidentally setting fire to their apartment in a leafy Rome suburb. Recounting this incident in her autobiography, Ms. Maloney is amused rather than ashamed. The loss of her childhood home might have left her with, quote, the courage to set up a political home years later, she jokes. That home is the Brothers of Italy, FDI, party which polls suggest will win the most votes in the general election on September 25th. If the Conservative Alliance, of which it is a part, wins a comfortable parliamentary majority as is expected, Ms. Maloney could well be Italy's next prime minister. Back in her girlhood, after the fire, Ms. Maloney's family moved to cheaper accommodation in Garbatella, a working-class district in the south of Rome. There she grew up poor but happy, Though a bit irascible, she writes. At age 15, in reaction to the assassination of Paolo Borsellino, a right-wing anti-mafia judge, Ms. Maloney joined the youth wing of the neo-fascist Italian social movement, MSI. She did not go to university, yet by age 29 was a national lawmaker, representing MSI's successor movement, the National Alliance. When she was 31, Silvio Berlusconi, then Prime Minister, made her the youngest minister in the history of the Republic. Ms. Maloney's career has not been hindered by the fact that in 2016 she had a child out of wedlock, despite her party's vigorous advocacy for traditional values. In recent years, she has worked hard to soften her image, toning down her rhetoric. But her periodic lapses into strident euroscepticism, most recently during a campaign rally in Milan on September 11th, suggest that little has really changed. Someone who knows her calls her views Trumpite. Ms. Maloney and FDI's rapid journey from the fringes of Italian politics to center stage has taken many observers by surprise, but she still has to make her position clear and prove she can govern a country. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia Shin Inagaki, Tokyo, Japan North America Lauren Fragomeni, Ottawa, Canada Central and South America Ramon Azpurua, Caracas, Venezuela Europe Rachel Loryman, London, United Kingdom Africa, Gary Gans, Johannesburg, South Africa. Oceania, Paula Johnson, Perth, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Twilight, White Stripes, Houston Rockets, Bruce Banner, and Brave New World. The theme is that these are all words in the first verse of America's national anthem. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Dog Hammershold, who died on this day in 1961. Time goes by. Reputation increases. Ability declines.